afternoon I preach you the Word of God as we read it in the Second Commandment, Exodus 20, verses 4 to 6, and as we confess this truth in Lord's Day 35 of the Heidelberg Catechism, you can see the Second Commandment on page 550 in the Book of Praise, description there of the Ten Words of the Covenant. It reads, you shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers and the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. And then Lord's Day 35, uh, we confess, what does God require in the second commandment? We are not to make an image of God in any way, nor to worship him in any other manner than he has commanded in his word. May we then not make any image at all? God cannot and may not be visibly portrayed in any way. Creatures may be portrayed but God forbids us to make or have any images of them in order to worship them or to serve God through them. But may images not be tolerated in the churches as books for the laity? No, for we should not be wiser than God. He wants his people to be taught not by means of dumb images, but by the living preaching of his word. Beloved Church of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, the study of our new life in Christ is called ethics, and ethics includes a focus on how the Holy Spirit uses the Ten Commandments in the life of redeemed believers to allow them to enjoy the fullness of Christ's work for us. Today I preach to you the gospel of the Second Commandment which reveals that God made us to worship him according to his word, divine revelation of himself, and then not according to images that we may make of him, our imagination of what God might be like. And as we consider the words of Hebrews 12, we see that when Jesus Christ came and fulfilled the commandments, he brought us into a relationship of peace with our Heavenly Father, and so He also brings us into a new covenant with Him and new covenant worship. The passage that we read in Hebrews 12 is found in the context of God's call to His people to persevere as they draw near to the throne of God in heaven. When we come to verse 18, we see that the Holy Spirit motivates us to endurance by highlighting what we have already gained in Christ Jesus. We are no longer in the situation of the people uh, that the people of Israel were in when they were at the foot of Mount Sinai, but we are in a new situation as members of the body of Jesus Christ, our Savior, who conquered sin and Satan and death. And this has profound effects on our worship. And I preach you the gospel under this theme, Christ carries his church 
into acceptable worship. And we will see that this worship is reverent, joyful, and eternal. The second commandment that we read, the Lord taught the people of God that we are not to make a carved image or any likeness of anything in the created world in order to worship the living God through these forms of created things. Worshiping God by bowing down to a golden calf was a sin against the second commandment. And if you look at the second commandment closely, you see that in it, the Lord specifically mentions that he is our God. There is a personal connection. There is a relationship between God and his people. And if we ignore his instructions about how we are to talk to him and how we are to show our love for him, we ultimately show that we do not revere him. The Lord says that we cannot use images to worship him, and that means that images are harmful to our relationship to God. And if we love him, we won't want to try. The Lord tells us that he is a jealous God. And with this, he means that he really wants to live in a peaceful and loving relationship with us, his people, without having anything getting in the way or distracting us from the salvation that he brings to us. God is jealous for your lives. He is jealous for your eternal satisfaction with him. He is jealous for your well-being. And so he invites us to enter into his holy and majestic presence as he has revealed himself in his word. And the second commandment shows us how the offer of eternal life with God is handed to God's people from the fiery glow of his holiness, the holiness of God Almighty. Like we sang in Psalm 97, you could feel that majesty of God being revealed even as we sang those words. The grace of of God's promise of steadfast love to thousands of those who love him is highlighted by his warning that he will punish the iniquity of those who hate him. Hebrews 12 also makes it very clear that the same God who brings salvation is the God whose majesty and glory and power and holiness are terrifying for sinners to see face to face. And God commands us to worship him according to his word. We should not imagine that he is a, a tame God that we can manipulate, nor that he is a God that, that is needing, that craves our, our relationship that cannot exist without our praise and worship. He is a God who is above all creation. He is eternal. He is sovereign. Everyone can learn from the divine revelation in the Bible that the Lord is a holy God, that the Lord is a God to be feared, a God who is majestic in his glory. The Old Testament makes it clear that everyone who knows the Lord and who loves him will worship him according to how he has revealed himself, that is, with reverence. 
Christ Jesus obeyed the second commandment by worshiping God as he revealed himself in the scriptures with sincere reverence and awe. Our Lord Jesus showed us that when we have the Holy Spirit, we will have the same attitude in our own hearts and our own worship. For he taught us to pray, hallowed be your name. And we realize that the God we worship is a consuming fire, like you read in verse 29 of Hebrews 12. God who manifested himself in his holy glory at Mount Sinai, then we realize that we will never want to be casual about entering into the presence of God. Not in our daily prayers, not in our corporate worship. Although our, our status has changed in Jesus Christ, God's holiness is the same. And this will always have consequences for us when we draw near to him in worship. And although we reject the superficial outward show of piety and all sorts of rules taught by men like our Lord Jesus warned against in Matthew 15, verses 7 to 11, we also know that after Christ's sacrifice on the cross, the sincerity of our love, the, the desire that we have to, to be in Christ, to walk in Him, is revealed in our sincere desire to revere the Lord as our holy and our glorious eternal King. Hebrews 10 Verse 25 already made it clear that worship in the assembly of believers is set apart from the other activities of the week, other meetings. And then Hebrews 12, verses 22 to 24, emphasize how amazing it is to be hearing the word of the living God along with the spirits of righteous men made perfect with the assembly of the firstborn enrolled in heaven, and even with the innumerable angels in, in festal gathering. And as we're here, we, we pray, O Lord, may your name be hallowed with our worship. And so as the Holy Spirit, working in our hearts even this very moment, leads us to desire to obey the second commandment in our worship, we can see that he makes us want to be reverent. Reverent. Not, not because our parents have always shushed us in church and made us do our hair before church. Nor because that reverence is, our, is part of our Dutch culture or, or Canadian culture or a particular Reformed tradition. No, that's not why we want to be reverent. We want to be reverent because God is majestic. Our reverence is not a theatrical act, not a learned habit or a pose, but it is the only result possible for someone who truly knows the truth about the God who made him, the God who is in our midst by his word, by his spirit. We are gathered before his throne 
today with the express purpose of worshiping him on this day of rest. How did you prepare for this meeting? Does reverence for God fill your mind and your heart? Does it characterize your attitude as you worship your appearance? Have we shown our children and our neighbors how special, how unique this opportunity is to, to be gathered in the presence of the holy God to worship him? Isaiah 66 verses 1 and 2 serves as an excellent call to worship as we leave our busy lives to gather in our corporate worship. There we read, heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool. What is the house that you would build for me? And what is the place of my rest? All these things, says the Lord, my hand has made. And so all these things came to be, declares the Lord. But this is the one to whom I will look. He who is humble and contrite in spirit and trembles at my word. The Lord is so holy that the blood of his Son needed to be sprinkled to make atonement and to save us from the wrath of him who could shake the, not only the, the earth but also the heavens can consume the world with fire. And yet we may come into his presence as his dear, we read it too, adopted children to hear his voice and to join in with the eternal praise of all his saints here on earth and also in heaven. And then we see it with justice, there is always mercy. And so with reverence, there is also joy. Christ carries his church into acceptable worship that is joyful. The comparison in Hebrews 12 between the two mountains that you kids are carefully drawing, the comparison between the two mountains makes it very clear that although both mountains give clear demonstrations of the majesty the power and the glory of the living God. Both Mount Sinai and Mount Zion show who God is so that Mount Zion doesn't take anything away from Mount Sinai but adds to it. The difference in the worship of the church of Jesus Christ is seen in our restored relationship to that living, holy God. Our catechism talks about dumb images, images that cannot speak, they're mute. Well, those images are, are static, they're, they're frozen. They can never help a person understand what it is like to be living in the hands of our Heavenly Father who walks with us on the journey of life. You see, our Heavenly Father is, is so much more than any one created thing in, in heaven above or the earth beneath or the waters under the earth at any given time that such an image might be in style. He's so much more than, than what we can try piece together to, to try understand who He is. 
only the living preaching of God's timeless, divine revelation in the Word can be used to build us up to see and to experience the living relationship that we have with our triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. When we come to see this, then we can see that we have a very good reason to be extremely joyful even as we reverently bow before the almighty, holy, eternal God. Our fear and reverence then we see is not to be compared to the whimpering, groveling of a guilty criminal who wants to slink away before a rule-bound and uncaring judge. That's not the kind of reverence we have in worship. But rather our reverence can be compared to a child's respect for his father or his mother's authority, wisdom, and mercy. A reverence that draws us closer to the Lord who has saved us. The barrier of the mountain that couldn't be touched in the impersonal manifestations of God's holiness at Mount Sinai are are removed. The darkness is replaced with light. The angels, we read, are in festal gathering. The trembling mediator Moses is replaced by the victorious mediator Jesus Christ. Our meeting with God is no longer completely focused on our wickedness and our unworthiness and our inability to to enter and stand in the presence of a holy God. For today, we know and we believe that God's righteous punishment of our sin is completely absorbed in the blood of the mediator, Jesus Christ. If you believe in him, you do not need to see the holy God as a cold, wrathful, or judgmental account keeper, but rather as your loving Holy Father, a Father who rejoices in his fellowship with the multitudes of those creatures who want to worship him in spirit and in truth. New covenant worship is shaped by the work of the mediator, Jesus Christ, who has obtained peace for all God's children. When Christ fulfilled the second commandment, He also carried all who believe in him, with him, into the presence of this living God where we may praise him without fear, together with all the angels, together with all the saints. And although Hebrews 12 describes our relationship with God and our neighbor at every moment in our Christian life, there is little doubt that the focus is on the regular corporate worship since that text speaks about an assembly gathered together to hear the one who is speaking. And so as we read Hebrews 12, we are able to see what kind of worship the Lord Jesus Christ carries us into and how every part of our worship services on the day of rest, how every part is is focused on Jesus Christ and therefore filled with joy. 
our eagerness to respond to the call to worship as the Holy God summons us to his presence, that, that eagerness is a joyful eagerness. Our confession of sins in anticipation of the declaration of forgiveness in Jesus Christ is a joyful confession. Our reverent listening to God's word as his spirit works it in our hearts and our minds. Our thankful reaction to God's justice and his faithfulness and his mercy in our singing and our active participation with our gifts, it's all joy in Christ, festivity, celebration, praise to God for his indescribable gift. And so as the Holy Spirit leads us to desire to obey the second commandment, we see that he makes us want to be joyful in Christ. He makes us want to be joyful, not not because we think that reverence and sobriety is a thing of, of past generations, nor because we think that it's better just to ignore sin and try focus on the positives, nor because we just want to try to fit in with the image we formed of the, those nebulous other churches that seem so happy. That's not why we're joyful. We are joyful because Jesus really died and he rose again. And we have new life in him. It's not a superficial joy. It's not a superficial joy that staff members need to try to create through melodies. But it's a joy that arises in our hearts because we know the truth, because we believe the gospel. Because it's true. And as a result, we should never conclude that this joy and its expression needs to be stifled or moderated by unwritten rules of silence. For it's a joy that fits perfectly into the instruction that our Lord Jesus gives us in the second commandment. How can we or, or why should we Hold back a fitting response of joy when we see the beautiful love of our Heavenly Father toward us in Jesus Christ. And so we see that the Psalms and the hymns are, are filled with outbursts of amen and hallelujah as God's people join together to, to shout aloud in joyful response to Christ Jesus' amazing work. Do you see? Joy fills the worship of Christ's church. You think about the way you sing, how you express your joy. You see, we have nothing to be ashamed of if we are singing our praises to God, if we love God, if we want to praise him for his salvation. He is not dishonored when your neighbor can hear your voice as you're singing. He's not dishonored when, when people can see the joy that you feel in your heart, even as you say the words, amen and hallelujah and praise the Lord. And, and we were singing so many of these praise songs together. It's a beautiful thing for the Lord 
to hear, for all of us to hear the whole congregation singing so beautifully to the joy that's in our hearts. That's acceptable worship, obedience to the second commandment. It's joyful also because it's eternal. The passage we read in Hebrews 12 calls us to be grateful near the end. Verse 28, therefore let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. And the writer to the Hebrews here connects this kingdom to the context of God's final judgment with a reference to Haggai, the prophecy of Haggai, chapter 2, verse 6. And he assures the church that because of her faith in Jesus Christ, nothing will hinder their ongoing worship of God. If you believe in Jesus Christ, you belong to that which is unshakable. You belong to that which will not be removed. You belong to that that will last forever. Christ's blood is truly effective to speak a better word to you than the blood of Abel, which was only crying out for justice. Although God is patient with those who hate him, and only removes them, we read, completely after their false worship continues for three or four generations. He shows his steadfast love for a thousand generations of those who love him and keep his commandments. This means that our worship today is not just a game. It's not just going through a routine. It's not just another planned activity whose form and content depend on what we feel like putting together or what our church has always done or tradition. Rather, our worship of God is the work of the Holy Spirit who restores us to a right relationship with our Creator and King through God's Son and our Lord Jesus Christ as this was first revealed in the second commandment. And if you study scripture, it's amazing to see how all the elements of a worship service that we, we still go through today, they're visible in every covenant meeting, every dialogue between God and his people in the Old Testament. Then you look in the New Testament, in the age of the Spirit's ongoing work in the history of the church, and then also according to Revelation, even in heavenly worship. Every Sunday again, we see it in that covenant meeting, God and his chosen people. We see those elements having been called into his presence by his spirit and word that's to do with your preparation for worship and, and the entrance as we, we come in and confess our dependence on him. And then after that, we find comfort in the forgiveness of sins obtained through the blood of Christ's sacrifice. We see that in our services and the confession of our sins and the declaration of our forgiveness as we also celebrate that and thank God for that in our prayers. Followed by that, we hear God's comforting voice as he again proclaims to us the gospel of salvation so that we can leave this place confident of who we are in Jesus Christ and, and eager to serve our neighbor. We see that also in the Thanksgiving offering. 
our minds are, are going to how we can serve and show love to those around us. And we leave with the name of our Lord, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit on our, on our heads because we again had the opportunity to meet and worship the Holy God. Now there are some healthy variety in different times and places in, in the world. But since God is God, and we are and always will be His covenant people, you'll see that the basic order and the tone and the content of Christian worship remains the same until our Lord Jesus appears again. You can see that in the sacrament of Lord's Supper, we are thinking until He comes. The Lord Jesus said, do this until I come. What we do today in worship, albeit hindered by sin and weakness, gives us a foretaste of a relationship with the triune God that will continue forever. The consequences of this faith mean that we can be real before the Lord in our worship. The only rules for worship are that or that we act as, as anyone should when they stand in a peaceful relationship with their sovereign creator in Jesus Christ. We truly are God's children. We truly do have peace with him forever. He truly has washed us clean, made us whiter than snow. We truly have his Holy Spirit within us. There's nothing that hinders any believer that is here today from spending eternity with their Father in heaven. We truly are united to one another by this same Spirit. Do you see? Do you see what God calls you to? every Sunday? Do you see the privilege of worshiping him together with other believers? Do you see how this spills out into the rest of your week? When you invite someone to, to join us in worship, we invite people not to come to a building or to a church. We, we invite people to come and worship the triune God with us. Do you understand what you're inviting them to? How do you represent this congregation, this worship? How do you represent that to, to people around you? Do you treat this place as another Mount Sinai full of condemnation? You give that impression when you talk to one another, when you look at one another, especially those who are struggling with weaknesses in their lives? Are you inviting people to enter into the holiness of Mount Sinai through the living way in Christ that leads to eternal joy of forgiveness, celebration on Mount Zion, the, the church of the living God? You see, our children should understand this as well. You see, God isn't, he doesn't call you to an hour of comfortable boredom 
for a few hours in a church pew. That's not what worship is. But he calls you to the greatest, to the longest, to the most universal, including the, the angels of heaven, celebration of the resurrection victory of our eternal King, Jesus Christ. He extends this invitation to all believers and, and their children. And he doesn't pay attention to your wealth or to your social standing, to your gender, to your nationality, or any other barrier that we might set up in our pettiness. And so when we say, come, come worship with us, when we think, here we go, children, we're going to go worship the Lord, or when we encourage ourselves to, again, come together with other believers on a Sunday we're not just talking about trying the flavor of a Canadian Reformed church. Not even a Reformed church or a Protestant church or whatever name may be on the plaque. But we're inviting people. We're, we're, we're coming together to join the assembly of God's elect whose names are enrolled in heaven together with the angels in festal gathering, to bow before the holy creator of heaven and earth and reverence and to rejoice in his love. And we may do this from wherever we are in our lives, from whatever situation we're facing, whatever struggle, whatever doubt, whatever moment of celebration or joy. That's what the Lord commands us to in the second commandment. That's what the Lord wants us to celebrate when he gives the second commandments. Worship me according to my word. Be taught and grow in the living preaching of his word. Rejoice together in the Son of God. That's a wonderful commandment to obey brings life. It's truly a privilege. The Spirit gives us the desire to obey, to walk in this commandment. We praise our King and our Savior, Jesus Christ, for carrying us with him into this acceptable worship that's reverent, and joyful, and eternal. Praised be his glorious name. Amen.